G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast coming at you late late on a Wednesday evening. I've lost my co-pilot, first solo pod on the new mic. I've just spent about an hour trying to tinker and tweak uh, with this new mic setup and it's actually started raining so if you can hear that in the background, uh, that's what it sounds like to live in Albany for 12 months of the year. I'm not here to talk about Albany weather though, I am here to discuss plenty of basketball little quick bit of NFL and do a mini recap of the AFL draft, focusing on some of the fantasy rookies potentially for next year. I've been meaning to record this pod for a while. I've been a bit lazy. I work as a school teacher and it's in the reporting time, the last part of the year, the big swing, the big push for the finish line. So this has been about a week in the making, but Hopefully, this isn't going to burst your eardrums and I've tinkered with the volume to make it somewhat listenable. Like I said, there's plenty happening in the sporting world and I want to start with a big match in the NBA. Obviously, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that Phoenix and Golden State played off today, the two best teams in the league record-wise, and Phoenix got the better of them. I actually had a hunch that the Suns were going to win this game. Played in Phoenix and then... Steph Curry had a miserable shooting game that obviously didn't help the Warriors, but it was bloody good. It was worth watching. Both teams are now locked at 18-3. and Phoenix was missing Devin Booker for the whole second half, and there are a couple of things that I think we learnt about both teams from that match. Obviously, it's only one game out of 82, and these two teams actually play each other again in a couple of days' time, but there were some lessons that I thought we could take away, mainly that... I don't think Phoenix are pretenders. I know that JLo and I sat down and kind of bagged the shit out of them not long ago, but Phoenix look pretty impressive, and they have done over their whole 17-game winning streak, tying a franchise record for wins, if you don't mind. Uh, haven't lost since the month of October, and they're rolling right now. One of the big things that stood out for me was actually Phoenix's defense. That's what won them the game down the stretch. They held the dubs to just five points in the last five minutes. Obviously, like I said at the leadoff, Steph Curry missed some shots that he'd usually hit. I think I saw statistically he had uh, the worst shooting performance of his career when he shot at least 20 shots. So you're not going to get that Steph very often. But full credit to the Suns. They definitely made life hard for Golden State. Jordan Poole had a bit of a mini coming out party. But Phoenix's defense has really helped catapult them. They forced Golden State to turn the ball over a season high 23 times. So... I don't think these Suns are fluking it anymore. I've actually got a little bit of belief. Like I said before with JLo and I, we kind of shat on them, thought that there weren't a lot of, uh, wasn't a lot to believe behind this Suns team. But even about a month ago now, we were talking about the Robert Sava situation, the Rob Sava story that came out about the toxic workplace that he's fostering in Phoenix. But the Suns, full credit, they've kind of turned a blind eye to that and just focused on playing basketball. One of the other takeaways that I had. Obviously, Devin Booker missed the second half, and Chris Paul had a very vintage Chris Paul performance. Barely turned the ball over, was setting the table up with plenty of assists, and didn't score a ton, but when he did score, it came in real big moments. He hit not the clinching shot, but another clutch mid-range jumper that he's become accustomed and uh, we've associated with Chris Paul a lot throughout his career with. So I think that he probably deserves a little bit of MVP buzz. He won't win it Well, he might win it, but I doubt he will win the MVP. It's highly unlikely unless Phoenix goes on some bullshit record. But 
Full credit to the Suns, like I've said a couple of times now. And Chris Paul is definitely the catalyst for their winning streak. One of the other things that I thought was a bit of a takeaway, both these teams bat pretty deep, but the signing of Nemanja Bialica and Otto Porter for Golden State could prove to be almost a championship-defining signing. I know that that sounds like a bit of a big call, and with Clay Thompson to come back for the Warriors, he's obviously going to be their best gain, for lack of a better term. But Potter, uh, Potter Order? <laughs> Otto Porter and Bialica both had like big moments down the stretch as well for Golden State, trying to keep them in that game. Porter, he shot the lights out for a period of time. He's shooting 70% of his shots from three for Golden State. And he's gone from being a max player to now basically playing on a minimum deal worth like $2 million. So full credit to the bloke. It seemed like he was just going to be washed up and out of the league. But he's definitely reinvented himself and is thriving in a role for this Golden State team. I know that he didn't jump off the page with his box score, and he's probably not going to. But he had 11 shots, finished with 16 points, couple boards, and he's really playing a somewhat similar role to Draymond Green as a small ball four or five. And obviously, he can stretch the floor a bit more than Draymond, which is very handy for Dubination. So I think that Porter and Bialica as well, who, again, didn't have a huge statistical game, only had four points against the Suns. But I think that those two signings, they're the type of guys that could just with a hot shooting quarter, a hot shooting half, a hot shooting game in the playoffs, they can definitely help buoy Golden State's championship quest. And like I said, you're not going to have these off nights from Steph Curry all the time, but if he is struggling or defenses are really cluing in on him, Jordan Poole can be explosive but also erratic. So if you've got these other guys that can be stable and hit a couple of big shots, I think that that'll be really important for the Warriors. Like I said as well, Phoenix is uh, oozing with some of these guys uh, in the likes of JaVale McGee, Alfred Payton, Landry Shamit as well. Not big names, but they bat deep. They're the blokes that you need to help you get through an entire regular season and obviously help churn out somewhere 50, 55 wins. And then if they have their moment in the playoffs, I remember campaign had a bit of a party last year. Reggie Jackson got himself another contract purely based on his play for the Clippers. So these guys are important. They do obviously kind of lose their input and their, uh, what's the word, their how important they are, I guess, down the stretch of the postseason. And you need them to chug through an 82-game slate. But I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some of those lesser names have a big moment uh, come playoff time. Continuing to whiz around the league, there's been a couple of injury updates that are going to hurt a couple of teams. Jalen Suggs, the Orlando Magic rookie, he's out for a couple of weeks, maybe up to a month with a busted finger. So that one kind of sucks. Joe Harris, that's a big blow for the Nets. He's out for four to six weeks, maybe even longer, closer to two months. He's undergone ankle surgery. I think he had a little bone floating around in his ankle, which uh, I'm not a doctor, but is usually ill-advised. Uh, but the big injury news that's come out since the last pod I recorded is the injury status of Mike Porter Jr. I'm not going to go on a ton about this because JLo and I have another podcast in the works later this week, and I'm sure he'll have some uh, opinions on his Denver Nuggets star young forward. I think it's weirdly smart for Denver if MPJ isn't healthy for him to have this season-ending surgery. All signs point to him missing the rest of the 2021-22 season. So massive blow, obviously, for the Nugs. But with Jamal Murray sidelined, they probably weren't going to do a ton this year anyway. Granted, Murray might return to full strength and full health by the time the playoffs roll around. And Nikola Jokic is still playing like a deserved MVP winner from a year ago. But unless you've got Jamal, Jokic, and Murray firing on all cylinders, uh, Jamal, Jokic, and MPJ, sorry, 
I do wonder, I have my doubts, I know that it's probably uh, the pessimist in me, and I really want to see Denver do well, but I don't think that they can get it done with just two of those blokes. Obviously, the big three has kind of become a, a popular term, a label that we've thrown around super teams of the past. The Warriors, obviously, they had their big three before they got Kevin Durant, but even when LeBron was going up against him, he tried to build his own big three. He kind of started the trend. Or actually, let me take that back. The Boston boys started the trend with uh, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett. I'm getting off topic, though. But the point I'm making is, unless Denver's at full strength, I don't know how much noise they're going to make in this playoffs. And if you're going to sign Michael Porter Jr. to a five-year, $170 million extension, you probably want to make sure his long-term health is a priority. He may come back fit and firing next season and have the most improved campaign that I thought he was going to have this year. He might not. He might live up to the doubts and the pessimism that some people had surrounding him on draft day. He might end up just being a 15 to 20 point per game scorer. We don't really know, obviously, but for his long-term health, I think it's smart to have this surgery and regardless of what is around him, Nikola Jokic is still going to have the Nuggets in the playoff picture. They do have a similar to the Warriors and the Suns that I've already alluded to. The Nuggets also have a bit of a deep roster, so they'll be able to be around. They'll make some noise in the playoffs, but now that MPJ is gone, I think we can draw a line through them as serious contenders this season. Mike Port June out of the rotation makes a lot of sense with his back injury, but I'm not too sure about the Kemba Walker situation. For those who aren't sure... Tom Thibodeau said that he's removed Kemba not just from the starting lineup, but completely out of the New York Knicks rotation. The Knicks starting lineup, their struggles have been well documented. They've got off to a terrible start. Their record isn't that bad, but when those five are playing on the court, the five of Mitch Robinson, RJ Barrett, Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, and Julius Randle, they have struggled big time. So, I'm not shocked to see Kemba go out of the starting lineup and they put Alec Burks in uh, from memory. If you're an NBA fantasy fan, make sure you go and check uh, your waiver wires for Alec Burks. But Kemba completely out of the rotation is a bit of a slap in the face to someone of his ilk, if you ask me. He's not the same Kemba that we all know and love, but you can't really rip a bloke completely out of the rotation, especially when he was starting before and not expect there to be some ramifications. I have recently seen a couple of trade rumours floating around. One is uh, potentially in a swap with John Wall. Kemba Walker obviously just signed with New York, and I don't think he'll have any desire to be traded. But there's no reason why after January 15th, when he's trade eligible, or December 15th, I forget, uh, there's no reason why the Knicks won't explore that option. He hasn't looked great, but I think if you're Thibodeau, you probably needed to keep him in a reserve role. Time will tell, and I'm sure Kemba will start to play again for the Knicks soon. He might honestly be nursing an injury that we're all a bit unaware of, so it might be a smart decision. But I do wonder what it's going to do for his confidence. He probably doesn't have too many great years left in him. So hopefully, for his sake, he can right the ship and still contribute to a winning product in New York. Like I said, John Wall is a name that's been mentioned potentially in a trade with Kemba Walker, or for Kemba Walker, I should say. He's in a weird situation of his own. He is in a bit of difficult pickle at the moment in Houston. They don't want to play him. They can't trade him. And no one's really sure how that's going to be resolved. Right before the season kicked off, I proposed the idea of the Clippers pulling the trigger on a trade for John Wall. They might explore that in the offseason, package someone like Bledsoe, couple of other contracts. I think Luke Kennard would have to be in the deal. Maybe Ivaka Zubac and a pick could 
dangle it for the Rockets to get the deal over the line. But I would love to see John Wall back on the court. He actually looked pretty decent when he made his return with Houston late last year. But I do wonder how this whole situation is going to be resolved. Trade deadline still a couple of months away. I'm going to do an NBA trade piece next week, maybe early the week after that, just pre-Christmas, and talk about some of the teams who might need to panic or might need to make a move. And then I'm also going to try and look at some of the players that need to be freed. And John Wall is certainly one of them. A couple of quick NFL tidbits. The injury bug continues to bite top fantasy dudes. I won't bore you with all the details of my fantasy season, but Christian McCaffrey's year is over as I sit here literally in a Panthers Christian McCaffrey jersey, which kind of sucks because uh, myself and a lot of other fantasy coaches out there will have him in multiple leagues. Dalvin Cook, the second consensus player and the second consensus running back that was drafted in most fantasy leagues, he suffered this dislocated shoulder and he's out for a few weeks. Alvin Kamara, who probably went three, he's been out for the last three weeks. If he didn't go three, then Derek Henry probably went third in your draft. He's on IR and virtually out for the rest of the fantasy season. So these injuries have kind of sucked for fantasy coaches and it's been a very, very strange NFL season, not just from a fantasy standpoint, but from an award standpoint and from the standpoint of trying to determine who the hell is the best team in the league. A lot of people are pointing the finger towards the Green Bay Packers at the moment. And I can kind of get behind that argument. The first podcast I did back with JLo, I mentioned that I thought the Packers were still my pick to make the Super Bowl out of the NFC. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get a Green Bay-Tampa Bay showdown uh, in the NFC Championship. Out of the AFC, the Ravens look pretty good. New England is surging at the moment. They've won six in a row. It's muddled up. We don't really know who the best teams are. I think... I'm still sticking with my Packers pick. I wouldn't be surprised if Aaron Rodgers was playing in a third straight NFC championship game. And as long as they're hitting their straps towards the end of the season, that's obviously what they want to be doing. Arizona's being somewhat left out of the conversation at 9-2 and two with still the best record in the NFL. But they've been without Kyler Murray for the last three, four weeks, almost a month now. So he obviously needs to get his body right if they want to have any chance of contending. Like I said before, the Bucks should be seriously considered with Tom Brady under center. Chiefs are starting to somewhat find their mojo. They've won four straight. The Titans, I think, are pretenders and probably don't deserve their high status, especially now that they're going to be missing Derrick Henry. But the Patriots are the ones that are probably the most intriguing and most puzzling at the moment. They walk into Buffalo this week in a game that most, if not big stage, big chance for the Bills to win their third straight over the Patriots, but also big chance for the Patriots to prove that they're legit contenders. Everyone has kind of seen what they've done the last six or so weeks, got behind them, but they actually have the best point differential in the league. And we know that Bill Belichick is a mastermind and a fantastic coach, not just in NFL realms, but in sports period. I'll be very, very interested to see what the Pats dish up in this Monday night showcase against Buffalo. Kind of tying in with that, I'm going to do a bit of a piece tomorrow, probably just on Insta or uh, socials, talking about the MVP rankings. And at the moment, I've kind of got Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers 1A and 1B. Jonathan Taylor deserves some credit for what he's done. He has single-handedly kind of kept the Colts in the mix. They're 6-6 six and six at the moment. And as I do, weirdly really like Carson Wentz as well after his Super Bowl run not too long ago. But... They've lost, but Jonathan Taylor, he's got 1,200 plus rushing yards at the moment. 
He's also ran for 14 touchdowns, so he deserves to be in the MVP conversation. Kind of like I said with Chris Paul, he won't win it. No running backs ever usually win MVP. I think Adrian Peterson in 08 was the last one, and no one really has seriously got consideration since then. But if Taylor can keep doing this and the Colts can win and find their way into the playoffs, then stranger things have happened. He might sneak in. Kyler Murray's probably fourth in the MVP race. He has missed some time, like I mentioned, and if he hadn't, he would probably be still sitting in the number one spot. But at the moment, I really think it's Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers who are primed to make a run at the NFL's MVP award. All right, you've waited patiently. Now it's time for me to talk about some AFL. I will dive into some of the fantasy numbers for the blokes that were drafted last week, but I want to quickly highlight some of the winners and losers from the draft as well. Full disclosure, as a Frio fan, I was pretty stoked with the blokes that they picked when Jake and I chatted about what I wanted the Dockers to do with their draft. I said they wanted kind of an Adam Chera replacement or an inside mid and a key forward. I don't know if Jai Amos will develop into anything, but he was probably the best key forward of the bunch. So to snap him at pick eight, I'm not unhappy with. I am a bit <laughs> bit of a glass half empty approach as a Frio Dockers fan, but kicking 50 snags in the Waffle Colts, isn't something to be sneezed at. He's a pretty accurate, deadly kick as well, so hopefully he can uh, string some good years together and be a uh, full forward for the Fremantle Dockers. Let's say, when did they say they want to win a flag by 2025? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it 2024 if they feel like it, but if they win a flag by 2025 and Amos is in the goal square, I won't be unhappy. Uh, Getting Matty Johnson with pick 21 was also another massive, massive get. Not surprised to see that the Dockers held Pat. There was some talk of them trading the pick. A couple of other teams came running at them, offering a future second to slide back a couple of picks, but he was the prime bloke to be picked in that slot at the first pick of day two, and not unhappy with Neil Erasmus either. So to get three WA boys with three top 20, call it, selections, is a pretty good outcome. Some of the other winners that I saw from the draft, regardless of what people think about Miller Bergman and... Jackson Archer, the late picks for North Melbourne. Getting Jason Horn Francis can't be underestimated. This bloke has all the traits to become a modern-day superstar. Now, I'll be shocked if he's honestly not in their round one lineup, obviously barring injury. Josh Goethe was another one who I thought was an interesting potential choice. Uh, they got him at pick 22. I highlighted him as one of the top six blokes in my um, fantasy rookie article that I published before the draft. He averaged 88 from his seven NAB games, but he's got a lot of versatility and a lot of talent about him that Calder Cannon product does. So he, similar to the mould of Will Phillips and Tom Powell, might get an opportunity in that young North outfit. And I hope he does, because honestly, he looks like he could be a bit of a player. So having, and obviously being a North fan, he obviously was a winner from uh, the draft as well. It's nice to get drafted by the club that you supported as a kid. I did view Gold Coast as a bit of a winner as well, even though they got egg all over their face for the Hugh Greenwood debacle. Nabbing Charlie Constable and Levi Casbolt as two, and Rory Thompson probably doesn't deserve any mention. But getting Mac Andrew, the versatile, very talented ruckman who can go forward and kick some snags and potentially be a big name for the Suns for years to come, I think that that's a great get for them. Again, from a fantasy standpoint, you only average 58 and tall blokes aren't exactly what we cover, so I would be ignoring him. They did have their eyes on Finn Callahan, the bloke that went to the Giants one pick 
Oh, one pick? Yeah, one pick before them. Technically two, if you count the Nick Dacos bid. No, sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. I'm sorry. It's late at night. I really need some sleep. But I think that Phil Finn Callahan is a bloke that a lot of fantasy coaches will be monitoring closely over the preseason. Average 87 from his six NAB games last year. And he, Bontepelli, in a few years from now. I do wonder how his impact will be straight off the bat if the Giants will give him a lot of opportunity in year one. So he might be someone that comes with a hefty rookie price tag that we might want to half avoid. A couple of guys that slipped in the draft that I think you can keep an eye on. Mitchell Knevitt. I don't know if the end's silent. Kevitt from uh, now with the Geelong Cats. If there's an opening in their midfield due to some injuries, he may get a chance. Tyler Sonzi, who ended up at the Tigers, you could say a similar thing. They're starting to almost turn over a new leaf for a new chapter. He averaged 83 from five NAB league games, so he could get a chance. But Josh Ward, the bloke that ended up at Hawthorne, he's the real big tick for fantasy coaches in my eyes. He's a bit of an accumulator, is Josh Ward. Averaged over 30 touches at under 18 level and average 101 points with that. So if he's picked for Hawthorne early, we saw them kind of play their youth all over the shop last year. So I do wonder if he'll get a chance right away. Nick Dacos, I kind of talked about him very briefly, but like Jason Horn Francis, I think he'll be a walk-up starter for fantasy coaches, especially if he's picked to play in round one. I did just very quickly crap all over the Sydney Swans as a loser of the draft. Now, they do have some intriguing players and youngsters already on their roster, so I wonder if the blokes that they did draft are going to get a lot of opportunity. But if they do, Angus Sheldrick, who's an inside mid that they think could kind of develop into taking a long-term role in their engine room once the likes of Luke Parker and Josh Kennedy bow out, he could be someone to keep an eye on. And Matthew Roberts, a Sandful bloke, is someone who's generating a bit of buzz as well. So scored pretty well during his time in SA, and I wouldn't be surprised if he did score well when he gets an opportunity, but I wonder how many games he'll be able to string together. Lastly, before I wrap this thing up, next piece I've got in the work, I'm doing a compare the pair. Those that follow Sports by Fry on Twitter will already know, but I'm going to look at the careers of one, Brendan Favola and Jared Ruffhead. Two very interesting, very different careers, obviously, True, true characters of the game. Fev, known mainly for his off-field exploits and big bags of goals, while Ruffy, some may say, just played second fiddle to Buddy and didn't really shine as a star in that Hawthorne side. But their career numbers are somewhat similar, and there's a lot of arguments for and against both blokes. So next piece you'll see will be a compare the pair for them. Got a couple of other bits and pieces in the work as well. Another NBA MVP ranking will be out over the weekend after... Week 13 of NFL action, I'm going to look at the Super Bowl pretenders and contenders and kind of separate the two. And then next week, I will be doing an AFL fantasy article. The first one that I've done in a while. Obviously, I did a little one looking at the draft blokes, but I didn't provide a ton of nuts and bolts. I'm going to look at some guys who could be serious discounts for fantasy coaches. I know it's only December, but fantasy never stops for the real coaches out there. All right, that's me done. Thanks for tuning in to this episode. Like I said, I've got another one very soon coming with JLo, talking all stuff uh, NBA and might even ask him for his opinion on uh, the West Coast Eagles draft as well. But thanks for listening to this episode. Till next time, peace. Peace.